This is the crux of this teaching. There are many who follow. There are many who believe in, but don't believe on. There are many who believe that Yeshua is Savior, but don't believe that they can do what Yeshua said they can do. There are many who are believers who focus and sight is heaven, but are not manifesting any power, any authority, and doing everything they know to do to live holy. I'm going to tell you something. It's much broader, much bigger than you being saved and living holy. It's about you manifesting because we're going to find that the true test of a disciple is going to be demonstrated through the power manifested in their lives that is going to influence and affect other people. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to John. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. At the time of John chapter 2, Yeshua had five disciples following him that attended the wedding in Cana where Yeshua turned the water into wine. Through this event, we can see clearly how Yeshua taught in two ways. He taught by what he said and by what he did. John writes that this first miracle manifested Yeshua's glory and his disciples believed on him. There were disciples following Yeshua, and when they saw the miracle, they believed on him. Did they not believe on him before? The question is, if they did, why would the author or translator indicate to us that now they believed on him? There are many places in the Bible where there are people who believed in him, but didn't believe on him. The message title in this podcast is Miracles and Faith. So, let's study. In John, we are in the second chapter of John, and we're going to deal with the first few verses here in the gospel John wrote. And so we'll more than likely go down to about verse 11 and maybe even touch on some of 12, possibly. So we're going to read. And the third day, John chapter 2, verse 1. There was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Yeshua was there, and both Yeshua was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Yeshua said unto them, They have no wine. Yeshua said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. Yeshua said unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, he knew not where it went it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom and said unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. This 
beginning of miracles did Yeshua in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. I do believe that's where I'm going to stop. Now, we've talked about uh, and we're going to see that the records aren't always in chronological order. Last week, we looked at the disciples who identified Messiah through John the Baptist, and we concluded that at the end of the chapter, there was only a handful of disciples. And we went into great detail uh, last week dealing with the calling of the disciples and knowing that all of the disciples had not yet been called at this point in this message. What's interesting here is, as we're going to look at this, that whoever was having the wedding, now the days then are not that much different than the days now, that when you invite people or people who have had weddings, invite people to weddings, they invite people they know. They invite family, they invite friends, they invite relatives, and rarely are strangers invited. And so it's important for us to see this up front because of who was invited to the wedding. Now, one, the Bible says that Yeshua's mom was there. Now, she was there, why? Because she'd been invited. <laughs> it wasn't that she was just out randomly walking around, so a wedding had decided to attend. We also see, and we'll see here in a moment, that Yeshua's brothers were there. Why were they there? Because they had been invited. And then Yeshua, we're going to see, was there with his disciples. And I suspect that because the disciples was with Yeshua, that they went to the wedding with him because at this particular point, they were following him. Now, we don't know who was getting married. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But it does reveal a few things that is noteworthy. Both Yeshua, verse 2, was called and his disciples to the marriage. Now, at the close of John chapter 1, Yeshua had how many disciples? <laughs> how many disciples did he have? <laughs> Yeshua had five disciples following him. And as we pointed out last week, four of these chose to follow Yeshua based on the testimony of John the Baptist. And when John, well, two decided to follow him uh, based on the, on the uh, testimony of John. The Bible says that Andrew went and found his brother, which was Simon. Messiah called him Peter. And then we found that the other disciple was not named. And many believe, which is why in the PowerPoint here, I have the question mark behind John. Many believe it was John. We don't know that for sure. But the intimacy and knowledge of what is happening throughout the course of John, it is an eyewitness, not someone 
who received testimony about what had happened. And so we know Andrew found Simon Peter, the other disciple that was with John the Baptist, that when Yeshua said, when he said, behold, the Lamb of God, they went and followed him. And then Andrew goes and finds Simon. And then as they go down to Galilee, Yeshua saw Philip and told Philip to follow him. So Philip was the only one at this point that had been invited by Messiah. And so he goes and finds Nathaniel. And last week we remembered, uh, remind you that Nathaniel, when told where Yeshua was from, said, can any good thing come from Nazareth? And so Nathaniel, Peter, Andrew, and possibly John followed Yeshua without an invitation to follow him. Nathaniel or Philip was the one and only one at this point that had been invited. So when we close out chapter two of John, it lets us know that these were the five people who were chapter one of John, that these were the five people who were following Yeshua. And so when we get to John chapter three or John chapter two, verse number. Okay. Where it is? There it is. Go back to verse one. And the third day, and the third day. So the first day, Andrew and John follow Yeshua. After Andrew goes and finds Peter. The Bible says the next day they go to Galilee. So Andrew and John and Peter, let me just go back. Andrew and possibly John and Peter is with them. He goes down to Galilee. He sees Philip. He says, follow me. Philip goes and get Nathaniel and come back. That's day two. And now we're in the third day. So there's a lot going on here in a short period of time, which suggests the invitation had already been given. So now John, Peter, Andrew, Nathaniel, and Philip, along with Messiah, is at this wedding in Cana of Galilee. And when they, verse 3, wanted wine, the mother of Yeshua said unto him, they have no wine. Yeshua said unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Yeshua addresses his mother. It seems it's kind of said, Woman, what have I got to do with you? It's like, what am I supposed to do with this? There's no wine. What, what am I supposed to do? And he respectfully indicate that his time had not yet come or his hour. Now, John doesn't explain to us at this particular point what it means that his hour has not yet come. But John makes this statement several times throughout his letter, and we'll see a couple of them, a few of them in a moment. And so this phrase is used in John's gospel to indicate that the time for him to be revealed has not yet come. At this moment, what the disciples have is a testimony. But when Messiah saw Nathaniel, remember, he says before Philip found you, I saw you. And so what we have here is a word of knowledge 
or a prophetic word, a vision that Messiah now knows where Philip was or Nathaniel was when Philip go and find him. And so Nathaniel's response, you are. He said, you believe that because I said these things to you? You're going to see greater things. You're going to see the heavens open. You're going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. But even in all of that, we're going to find at the end of this passage that even though they followed him, they didn't necessarily believe on him. This is the crux of this teaching. There are many who follow. There are many who believe in, but don't believe on. There are many who believe that Yeshua is Savior, but don't believe that they can do what Yeshua said they can do. There are many who are believers who focus and sight is heaven, but are not manifesting any power, any authority, and doing everything they know to do to live holy. I'm going to tell you something. It's much broader, much bigger than you being saved and living holy. It's about you manifesting because we're going to find that the true test of a disciple is going to be demonstrated through the power manifested in their lives that is going to influence and affect other people. This is the purpose of John's writings. If we go back to the introduction, why John wrote this gospel in the first place. Verse six, then Yeshua said unto them, my time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. This took place with Yeshua's brothers. His brothers were saying to him, if you be who you say you are, show yourself. And he says, no, my time is not yet come. And this, I'll tell you something that when people challenge us, the tendency is to respond to the challenge. Whereas Yeshua says, listen, it doesn't matter what you say. I know when my time is and I don't have anything to prove to you concerning that. So in verse eight of that same chapter, he says, you all go up to the feast. And this feast is the feast of tabernacles. He says, I'm not yet going up to this feast because for me, the right time is not yet come. Now we know that after they went, he went up afterwards, but he's saying to them that his time is not yet come. At this, they tried to seize him. Now he's there, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. So John is reporting all of this. His time has not yet come in relations to manifesting who he is to people who are simply gawkers and trying to call him out to perform or to do something to prove he is who he say he is. Let me tell you something. Brothers and sisters, you don't have anything to prove to anybody. The only one you need to be focused on is proving that you are a believer and this believing is going to be demonstrated. I'll tell you that in a moment. John chapter 8, verse number 20. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. And if you look at the context of this, it's like, it's like, hey, 
The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they got a problem with this man and they've been trying to get a hold of him and they've even tried to, you know, to take him. And here he is teaching broadly and publicly out front in the temple area. And yet they couldn't do anything because his time had not yet come. Now, I'll tell you, there's for me a lot that I can take in that because your time to go is not determined by them or you. It's not determined by the world around you. And there are people who are afraid to go places and to do certain things for fear that they might lose their lives. They might crash if they fly in an airplane. They may, they may have a wreck if they get behind the wheel and drive. They may get captured and, and ransomed if they go outside the country. They may not necessarily make it back, get stuck in the country at the border. <laughs> There's all kinds of rationales that people go in their, through in their mind to try to justify themselves the reasons why they're not doing what he may be calling you to do. Imagine Messiah's called you to go to Egypt, but you don't, you're scared of getting on a boat and you're scared to fly. There's a problem. What is your response? You either have to overcome your fear or deny Messiah. We don't want to think about that, but that's a fact. If he's telling you to do something or to go someplace and you got a legitimate excuse and reason for not going, then the reality is you are disobedient to what he has told you to do. Well, don't send me there. Send me someplace I can get to by feet. Send me someplace that I can get to by, by horseback. Send me someplace where I can get to by Uber. Now we're trying to dictate to him. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, believers on so many different levels are putting him in a box and limiting his power and his authority to manifest in their lives. And it's all because of the faith in what we believe. You see, if you believe your healing is going to come through the doctors, where are you going to put your faith? If you believe your deliverance is going to come through a specific person who has a deliverance ministry, where are you going to put your faith? If you believe that's not your gift, that's not your call. Listen, brothers and sisters, all of us have been called to work miracles. All of us have been called to demonstrate the power of Jehovah in Yeshua through our lives on a daily basis, if given the opportunity. What's stopping us? What's hindering us? What you believe? And here's where you get double speak. You got people who say, I believe he can heal me, but he may heal me like this. Really? I believe he can deliver me, but here's how I want him to deliver me. Really? And we don't even realize at times how we've taken our own faith captive and only release it in areas to where we feel comfortable releasing it. Oh, it's going to get a little heavier than that. Although Yeshua made it clear his time had not yet come, 
His mother instructed the servants to do what Yeshua said, and get this, they obeyed her and him, which suggests to me that she has some authority at this wedding. This is what it suggests to me. This is not just some random situation. His mother said unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And as I said, she obviously has some authority. Now, there were set six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, which indicates to us that John is, is saying that this manner of water was for purifying of the Jews, <laughs> which says to me, the influence of Judaism is in this picture. The influence of Judaism, water pots for purifying what is that going to do? Now, it was custom for people to take off their shoes when they come at the time in the homes of other people. It was custom for people to wash the feet of their guests. There were customs where people would wash their hands. Remember, the Pharisees said to Yeshua, your disciples eat without washing their hands. It's like, what kind of washing of the hands is that you're talking about? It wasn't just they, they were dirty and didn't wash their hands. No, they didn't purify themselves. And those of you, there are places, if you go to Jewish communities, there are places outside of bathrooms. For us, we have sinks. We have sinks. You turn on, you wash your hands. It's not that kind of party even today to where there may be a sink in the bathroom where you can go and wash your hands, but there is this two-handle cup outside the bathroom and a basin of water to where now you have to wash your hands that way. That's purifying. That's a Jewish custom. And so you can see the influence of Judaism in this particular picture. Now, Yeshua does something that violates, in a sense, the custom. Take the water pots for purifying, fill them with water, and we're going to do something else with them. So he changes the water to wine. And this uh, firkins, two or three, it says, containing two or three firkins apiece, could be anywhere between 20 and 30 gallons. So that's a lot of water that became a lot of wine that we find out later was good wine. Yeshua said unto them, fill the water pots with water and they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast and they bear it. Verse nine, when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was. Now here's a little insight into the passage, which is why I bolded in the translators put it in parentheses, but the servants which drew the water knew. The servants which drew the water knew. So get the picture. Yeshua's mom says to Yeshua, they have no wine. And he says, what have I to do with thee? And then she instructs the servants, and these are the people who are serving the guests to do what he says. So he gives them instructions. So who's witnessing this? The servants are witnessing this. They're seeing things 
in this situation. And it also indicates that, okay, if Yeshua's mom, is, she already knows who her son is, but Yeshua's disciples. Because when I first started reading, it's like, okay, why are you doing this if your time has not yet come? Is it because of the influence of your mom? What's the reason? And we'll reveal that in a moment. Because everything Messiah did was for a reason. Remember, he taught two ways. He taught by what? What are the two ways Yeshua taught? Hmm? By example, what he said. He taught by what he said and by what he did. Now, let me tell you something. You teach by what you say and by what you do. And the question is, is do what you do contradict what you say? Do what you say contradict to what you do? You see, if you told me you had power, why would I believe it? Because you said it? Show me. If you say you got the money, show me. If you said that you can do certain things, show me. And this is why references are so important. Especially if you're going to be hiring somebody to do work. You're hiring somebody who advertised they could do certain things and then you, you give them a down payment only to find out they done disappeared on you. You bring them into your house to do some work only to find out they jack legs. They don't have the skills to do what they say they can do. Did you check the reference? Did you get testimonies of two or three witnesses who can validate that they can do what they say they can do? You got people up saying, hey, we have the best Asian food. And you go in there and it's like, it's not nearly as good as some food you've had. We got the best soul food. People get duped like that. You're going on what somebody say, but then their actions prove something else. You call this, this is garbage. This is slop. I wouldn't feed that to my dog. I don't have a dog. I wouldn't feed that to my hog. I don't have a hog. But I mean, it's, rare, it's very little stuff hogs won't eat. <laughs> and so when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine. He had no idea what had happened. He had no idea where it had come from. But the servants knew. Why? Because they were right there witnessing what had happened. Now, it doesn't say the servants responded to anything other than the servants knew. And the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. In other words, you put out the cheap stuff. And then when people have gotten to the point to where they can't taste no more. Because I'm going to tell you something. When you get inebriated, everything tastes good. If you can eat. People get the munchies. Man, it don't matter. It's not about taste. It's about putting some in the mouth to chew and swallow. And here it says that they put out the every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. Sorry about that. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, they bring out. Um, but thou 
they bring out that which is worse. In other words, they put good stuff out first and then they bring the cheap stuff out once people are, are well drunk. And he says, but you keep the good wine until now. And as I stated, although Yeshua made it clear his time had not yet come, he performed a miracle anyway. And the question then becomes why? And I believe the answer is in the text. This beginning of miracles did Yeshua in Cana of Galilee, and notice this, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Now, wait a minute. What this tells us is that he had disciples following him, but when they saw what he did, they believed on him. They believed on him when they saw this miracle. Did they not believe on him before? The question is, if they did, why would the author or translator indicate to us now they believed on him? And John is being very specific here because there are other places where it talks about believing on him. And there are also places in the Bible where there are people who believed in him, but didn't believe on him. And you say, well, how can you believe in something and don't believe on something? Well, there's an old saying back where I come from in Michigan that the proof of the pudding is where? In the eating. And so now he manifests his glory through this miracle. And what's interesting is this word miracle is not the miracle that we know about in, in Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians 12 is not the miraculous power that manifests so much as far as healing and, and deliverance and the power of the Spirit. This word is the word Simeon. It's Simeon. And it's a sign. The word miracle here, the Bible refers to as a sign, a mark, a token. And then it goes further, that by which a person or a thing is distinguished from others and is known, and I like this, of miracles and wonders by which Elohim authenticates the men sent by him or by which men prove that the cause they are pleading is Elohim's. Now, this is a very important word, this Simeon. It's a sign. It's a sign. It's a person who looks at you based on what you do and then determines who you are. You can look at a person and determine, okay, that's a prostitute. How do you make that distinction? What is it you see? Their behavior, their action. That's a drug dealer. How do you make that distinction? Have you bought drugs from them? That's a ladies' man. That's a liar. Your behavior, your actions, tells people who you are. You teach by what you do just as much as you teach by what you say. And when your words align with your actions, then you now are a person who a person would say, whatever they say, you can take it to the bank. This person 
is not just a talker, he's a doer. This person is not just someone who say things with their lips. She is a person who do and believe what she says because you can tell by her actions. Yeshua refers to it as let your nay be nay and your yay be yay. This is one of the challenges sometimes we have with circumstances and with people is saying one thing and doing something else. There's a word for that. It's called hypocrite. And, and here's an interesting thing. This is very interesting that people are always evolving. Babies from the cradle to the grave. There are ways in which we get people to do what we want. There are things that we do that is demonstrated by our actions to get the results we want from somebody. If a child figures out that if they cry long enough, they're going to wear their mom out and get what they want. What do you think is going to be their, their mechanism? for getting what they want. If a wife has figured out how to get on her husband's nerve in order to get him to do what it is she wants him to do, what do you think she's going to do? She's going to use whatever. If a husband has figured out how to manipulate his wife, what do you think he's going to do to get what he wants? And why am I saying this? Is because people, they figure out what works and they maneuver through in order to get what it is they desire from somebody else. And Father, through Messiah, is giving his disciples an example of how to get Father to do what it is they want from him. But he is the example by which we are to do it. And I'm going to show you in just a moment. These signs is what says to people, Yeshua is that Messiah. It goes beyond his words. But we're going to find it says the same thing about us as well. The miracle Yeshua did was a manifestation of his glory. This is what it says in verse 11. This beginning of miracles did Yeshua in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. He manifested forth his glory. And so when John talks about, we need to go back and take a, a look at it. I just have to remember where it was. We beheld his glory. Is that what it says in your book? John chapter uh, one, verse number 14. Just a thought that came to me. Hello? We beheld his glory. How? Because John says, which was born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of Jehovah. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. See, the way his glory manifests in my life it's when I take that truth that he reveals to me in a particular area and it sets me free. It sets me free. 
My first encounter of a miracle was in a rehabilitation center where I went because I had a drug problem. And in this rehabilitation center, Father walked me through a process of deliverance from cocaine that I've never used since. And this was back in 1989. The deliverance I experienced set me free from a habit that I'd went to treatment center. Now, of a truth, I could have demanded my money back because it wasn't what they did that set me free, but it was in the confines of their space and place where I had this encounter. You follow what I'm saying? I encountered him and a visitation from him revealed to me not only where my problem came from, exposed the problem, delivered me from the problem, and in there I received the tools how to now go and sin no more. I had to apply these steps. I had to apply these truths they gave me to avoid people, places, things, to recognize when my thinking wasn't right. Because, see, people relapse in a whole lot of areas, which is why it's difficult for many people to try to go on a diet or go on some kind of plan because they become addicted to some kind of thing, whether it be sugar, whether it be sweets, whether it be meats, whether it be whatever it is that we, when we try to confront it and get away from it, it keeps pulling us in. It keeps pulling us in is because we haven't applied the truth of his word in that particular area. And therefore we don't have deliverance. Believers. Believers who have addictions, but that's not a bad addiction. At least it's not drugs. Oh, but it's killing you. It's destroying your way of life. It's affecting your body. It's affecting your temple. It's affecting your heart. It's affecting your thinking. It's affecting your relationships. It's affecting your outlook. It's affecting your esteem. It's affecting you and making you of less of a person. And then the enemy comes and say, <laughs> oh, you think you go lay hands on somebody and heal them? You need healing. You need deliverance. You need to go sit down somewhere. Get free first. Can I tell you something? While Paul had his thorn in the flesh, other people were still getting delivered through his ministry. See, the idea that I have to be perfect before I can do the work. Now, there's a difference in trying to do the work while still living in sin, while still practicing things that are not of him. And what is sin? Disobeying his commands. Yeshua manifested forth his glory by this sign or this miracle. Now remember, the word miracle here is a sign. It's a mark. Is a token. Now, what's also interesting is there are places where wonders also simeon. 
signs here, if you notice under the usage at the very bottom, that the usage for the word miracle, Simeon, is used 50 times as a sign. Miracles, 23 times. Wonder, three times. And so there are places where you'll see miracles, signs, and wonders. And these are, it's like Yeshua understood because before Yeshua gathered, before the crowds came to Yeshua, they got word of miracles. They got words that, hey, it's like us today because there are people I was telling my daughter about something and she said, yeah, I've heard of that. Is that when, when you have found something that works for you, you have a tendency to want to tell other people. If you hear somebody who's going through something and you have found some kind of remedy for it, you want to tell people about it. Oh, you going through that? My cousin had that same thing. Let me tell you what they did. And they did this. Maybe you ought to try that. See, this is where your testimony is directing somebody to something that may not necessarily be to him, but to something else looking for what? Their healing. The only true medicine in the earth is food. And people want to put authority in products. They want to put authority in services. They direct people to what? they believe works. How many of us direct people to the master when they are in need of healing or in need of a deliverance? No, folks are looking for a specialist. They're looking for an expert. That was a woman's issue with the woman's issue who had the issue of blood and she spent all of her money trying to figure out and and go to this person and that person and that person. And I'm going to tell you that faith cometh by hearing. So when you tell somebody about somebody who somebody else got healed from, the reason why they look to the resource you just pointed to is because your words put faith in them, and now they're operating on the faith you just spoken to them. Your words have power. This is why if his word is power and my words have power, imagine me speaking his word. But let me tell you something. Do we really believe his word is power? Because if we did, Would we speak more of it? Would we look to him more? Will we search him out more? See, as long as we got all this other stuff, we got options. And sometimes, and in some cases, more times than not, he is the last option. So the miracle Yeshua did was a manifestation of his glory. But can I tell you something? Yeshua gave the glory he was given to us. This is what it says in John chapter 17. I've given them the glory that you gave me. It's the same glory. Look it up. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. You see, because of this glory he gave us, we can do the works he did. Miracles were done to generate faith in those who witnessed them. Many believed on Yeshua because of the miracles they saw him do. Although his disciples followed Yeshua, they believed on him after the miracle of changing the water to wine. You see, I can tell you a bunch of testimonies. And these are testimonies where people have received the manifestation of the glory of the Almighty through the miraculous work that has been done through me. But I'm not the miracle worker. I'm not the healer. But yet and still, people's faith in him was generated. And this is where we have to always point people to him. Otherwise, they follow us. And this is how people with healing ministries and deliverance ministries get such massive followers. When the fact of the matter is the one they should follow is the one who's manifesting the glory through the person who the glory is being manifested through. And so our responsibility is to point people to the master. But people can't see the master. So they put their faith in a man. Until man say or do something they don't like. Other disciples doubted to the end as Thomas refused to believe the resurrection of Yeshua had occurred unless he saw with his own eyes. In John chapter 20, verse 8, the Bible says, And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Yeshua said unto him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Now, we are a people who have not seen, and yet we believe Yeshua's resurrected. We put our faith in the fact that Yeshua has resurrected, and therefore we put our faith in Yeshua. And as a result of putting our faith in Yeshua, we believe in him. The next level is to believe him. Now, if we believe him, guess what's going to happen? We're going to start walking like it. We're not going to have a problem. Our first reaction, when somebody is talking to me and they're confessing some sickness or some weakness or some disease, I'm sitting there and I talk to them hoping they would ask for prayer. That's what I, I do. I hope they would ask for prayer. But a little further listening, they tell me where they've put their faith. They've got appointments and schedules. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat and talked to believers who are having issues that they're dealing with and they never ask for prayer. Or it's a side note, you know, remember me, remember me in prayer. I want you to pray because I'm going into surgery. I want you to pray because I got a doctor's appointment that the report comes back clean. And I'm, I'm hearing this from believer after believer after believer. And it's like, have you guys been listening to my teachings? Who call the elders anymore? Who, who go to the brother and ask for prayer on the spot, demanding and joining faith with one another for deliverance and for healing? Have our insurance 
warped our minds that much? We put our faith in what we believe and then say we believe certain things when we've already demonstrated what we believe by where we've put our faith. And so what happens? The church and believers get sicker and sicker, worse and worse. And that's unfortunate. It's hard to pray for somebody who's not asking for prayer because now you're imposing your will on them. And how do you impose your will on somebody else and not be in agreement in prayer? Now, granted, anybody who say they believe, if you ask them, would you like for me to pray for you? Of course. Of course I want you to pray. Who wouldn't want prayer? Like, really? Then why didn't you ask? Because if I got to ask you, you may not have the faith. Now, we've been using this word believe, believe, pistuo. It's the same usage in the sense of one putting faith in or believing on. Now, pistis is the Greek for faith, but pistuo is believe. And I want to show you the similarity in how close in relationship they are. So Thomas says, or Yeshua says, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. You see the, the use of the word, how it's used, and many other signs there's that word, Simeon. Truly did Yeshua in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, the ones that are written, that you might believe that Yeshua is the Messiah and the Son of Elohim, and that believing you might have life through his name. And so we see the crux of why John is writing what he's writing. And John focuses a lot on the miracle signs and wonders Yeshua did. It's amazing. Many did not believe, although they saw many miracles. So what stopped them from believing? And John chapter 12, 37 says, but though he had done so many miracles, so many signs, and in one case they said, show us a sign, show us a sign. It's like, wait a minute, do I have to show you another? There's been so many done. I know that for many, including myself, because when I was in the Baptist church, I have to say, I didn't believe in miracles. And the reason I know I didn't believe in miracles, because even though I had experienced a miracle, I'd experienced deliverance. But because I'm in the rehab, it took me a long time to realize that rehab didn't deliver me even though I had encountered, and I know my encounter. I didn't even understand my encounter until much later. The more I learned about Messiah, the more I learned about how he operated and the way he did work, especially today, I made the connection to what happened to me. It was at that time, because up until this point, I'm going to AA meetings, and I'm going to NA meetings, and I'm talking about my higher power. My high power, my high power. Until one day, 
It's like, well, who is your higher power? What is your higher power? And now I'm forced to identify by name what my higher power is. And it was then I realized that my higher power wasn't welcomed at the table of higher powers. Can't say that here, bro. What do you mean? If my healing, if my deliverance came through Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus Christ at the time, what do you mean I can't say that? Well, we try to avoid religion. Well, the principles that we are operating on here came from religion. Yeah, but we don't want to offend people. You're saying me using the name Jesus is an offense to people? And it dawned on me after a while that if my Savior is not welcomed at these meetings, neither am I. And wherever my Savior is not welcomed, I'm not welcomed. Why? Because wherever I am, he is. I don't leave him at home. I don't leave him at the synagogue or at the assembly or at the church. Wherever I go, he is with me. And if he's with me, then the power that he manifests is also available to me. Now, the question is, is am I operating in that? Now I have to challenge myself because I'll tell you that there are reasons why we don't walk in that. And it's interesting what some of these reasons may be. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Some feared men more than Jehovah. Some did not want to lose their position. I remember after rehab and I'm at work and it's like, I had the same experience when it came down to my seat seats. When I found out we were supposed to wear seat seats, I used to put them in my pocket because I didn't want people to see them. I used to, first I put them in my belt loop and turn them over so folks wouldn't see it because I didn't want them to think, okay, why are you wearing that? What's wrong with you? Is you in some kind of coat? I was ashamed of my seat seats, but I was also ashamed of my Bible because I'd keep my Bible in the drawer. At work, I didn't want people to see me reading it. I don't want to be realized or recognized as some kind of religious fanatic until I was ready to be recognized as a religious fanatic and I pulled that Bible out and set it on my table. If you got Playboy and Hustler and all that other junk, and you got your horoscopes and all this other stuff and you talking about it, I'm going to talk about my Savior. And you know what? It shut people up. Shut them down. I wasn't trying to shut them down. I was just trying to tell them what I believed. And after a while, they didn't want to hear that. And that's sad when his creation don't want to hear him. And we too shame to tell him or tell other people about him. Or we've been rejected so much to where we're now trying to preserve our own feelings. Or whatever the reason, only you know. Well, my job don't permit it. Well, they tell me, you know, if, and I get that. This is where the spirit of wisdom comes in. Because the spirit of wisdom will show you how to communicate your faith without even invoking verse and chapter. You can talk to people. You can minister to people. 
And this is where even your testimony and the testimonies of others you have heard, just like somebody say, you know, when I had that friend who, when they was going through this, they tried Dr. Such and Such remedy. And now their friend is on Dr. Such and Such's remedy. Well, I'll tell you, when I was having some challenges in my body, I called on the name. And even when I didn't know the name that I know now, I called on the name I knew. And so can you. When I was in the Baptist church, I didn't believe. How do I know? Because I wasn't manifesting it. I was a believer. I was taught what to believe. And the things I was taught is what I walked. When I was called out of the Baptist church into the Pentecostal church, some of you've heard this testimony. There was a woman who was married to a Muslim who had a, a son who, when they were moving, a shifero or one of them dresses fell down a flight of stairs, crushed the baby's skull. They rushed him from Detroit to well, I'm not in Michigan, to Grand Rapids at one of the premier hospitals. And the woman out of desperation found her way to the church that we was in. And because I was the lowest on the totem pole, I was directed to go to the hospital. And I'm in there. And by this time, I got the confidence and faith. I walk in that hospital like I got authority and pray and trust and believe. And I'm, you know what I'm doing? I'm simply exercising stuff I read and some of the stuff that I'd heard and seen. And I saw miracle after miracle after miracle, sign after sign, healing, deliverance. And so now people, when they want a healing or a miracle, they're those who seek me out. And to think, that you directing them to me causes me to question, where's your faith? Now, I'm not picking on any of us. I'm provoking, I hope, and challenging you to rise to the place of power and authority that you have been called to. And the only thing that's holding you back is what you believe about yourself. You see, all things are possible to them that believe. And if you really believe that, you wouldn't have a problem with doing it. Your problem would be in your believing. Do you believe? Let me give you a few more. In John 12, 42, nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him. They believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of Elohim. This is some of the challenges I face now in trying to talk to people who are in Sunday church leading Sunday worship about returning to the faith once delivered to the saints. Man, if we start talking about Sabbath, my congregation will leave. My people will stop coming. So you're more concerned about your people. Question is, do you believe this to be true? Well, yeah, I believe, but, 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 but ain't no buts about it. If you believe it, then what's the problem? The problem is in the doing. 
which questions whether or not you believe. So there's an ascent. I know it's true, but I'll lose my place. I'll lose my people. I'll lose my church. I'll lose my offerings and I can't pay for the rent or I can't pay the mortgage. There's a lot of reasons. Well, I would, but nobody in my house would do it. And believing is what believers are supposed to do. In the age of time and times in which we live, miracle signs and wonders have become somewhat extinct. Religious leaders have taught that miracle signs and wonders were necessary in the first century for the spreading of the gospel and that they are no longer necessary because the Bible has been completed. I heard this. This is what was taught to me in the Baptist church. Miracle signs and wonders have been replaced by society with science, medicine, witchcraft, sorcery, and technology. Today, People look to modern science and technology for the miraculous. And most no longer look to the creator of all things. And in essence, in the days of Yeshua and the first century believers, the miracle signs and wonders demonstrated by those who believed the gospel had very little competition. Today, science, medical advancements, 24-hour media advertisements, Entertainment, attractions, distractions galore, clinics on almost every corner, hospitals, online prescriptions, Walgreens, Walmart, CBD oils, marijuana, illegal drugs, and a host of other so-called medical breakthroughs are all competing against the gospel. And based on people's responses to these competitions, the gospel gets pushed further and further back in time. This is where our society is. This shouldn't be for the believers. As a result of the myriad of competing and distracting forces, people fail to realize they are looking more to the creation for help than the creator. And it's unfortunate. You see, I have, it's one thing to receive healing. But, but what Father showed me in that rehab back in 1989 was the tools that you have is what you're going to have to apply when you leave this rehab. The rehab was a place of deliverance. The tools were walking out that deliverance. Even to this day, I'm still applying those tools. You see, Father has given us tools in his word. When he says to the people, go and sin no more, this is how you do that. You have to avoid these things. You have to shut that out. There's things that I've had to take out of my diet, stuff I like, because it was killing me. Tasted good, gave me a sense of, ooh, I like that. Looks good. I've had to change my portion size. I've had to change what I put on my plate. I've had to change what I bring in my house. I've had to change the places that I go and sit down to dine. 
There are a lot of changes that is going to be required in order to walk out your freedom, in order to walk out your deliverance, in order to walk into the power and the authority and to manifest the presence and power of the Almighty in our lives. That's work. And it's hard work. And in order for me to do the work, I got to deny myself, which is even more difficult to tell me no. It's one thing to tell somebody else no. It's a whole nother thing to say no to yourself. No, Seth, you can't eat that. No, Seth, you can't have that. No, Seth, you can't go there. No, Seth, you can't operate in that. No, Seth, you can't walk that. You can't watch it. You can't listen to it. You can't give it place. You can't put yourself in that place. You got to watch who you hang out with. You got to watch who you associate with. You got to watch because evil communications corrupt. And so you have people who are supposed to have the power who don't have the power because they're subjecting themselves to stuff that is usurping the power and the authority from their lives. And so we become dependent on something else other than looking to the creation for help, not the creator. People validate this ideology with statements such as God gave man these gifts, talents, wisdoms, and abilities. He gave man this wisdom. And although some of it may be true, Jehovah did not give them to men so that he may be replaced by men. The words of Yeshua still holds true today more than ever. Seek ye first the kingdom of Elohim and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. From the time we wake up to the going down of the sun, we should be seeking him. But oh, no, we got too many channels. We got cable. We got Internet. We got smart devices. We got iPads and iPhones and Android phones. And I was coming today and there's this guy walking down the street with his phone and he's fussing at somebody. He's just, ah, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and I'm looking to the person next to me and looking to the, you know, and you got folks can't even hardly drive because they're watching or fidgeting with these things. You know, you go into a store, noise. You go into a, a, a market, noise. You go into an appointment, noise. It's noise, noise, noise all around you. And all of this stuff is putting stuff in your spirit. You, you don't even know some of the stuff that is being put in your spirit until one day you find yourself at the McDonald's getting one of those McDonald meals that you've heard now for about 20 times through all that stuff coming at you. And you don't even like McDonald's at McDonald's because that stuff gets into our spirit. And the more it gets into our spirit, next thing you know, we're being led by the things that have been put into our spirit that has got there through an unauthorized source that we've given authorization to. I'm going to tell you some brothers and sisters, music is the source 
that the enemy has used to captivate the people of Jehovah. Anybody who say they need music to worship the creator don't have a relationship with the creator. Music can enhance your worship, but music is never to be subsidized with your worship. Oh, I need to hear this. You know, this, oh, this takes me into the place. No, you're supposed to be able to come boldly. And he didn't say, well, you know, listen to this artist and he'll get you there. And so remember now, who was the musician in heaven? They need to shut that stuff off. Oh, brother, you saying we shouldn't have music? Come on now, what's wrong with you? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying now that you need to move everything that is a crutch in your relationship with the creator. Because that stuff is getting in your spirit. And his voice is becoming less and less because when you think about worship, you're hearing the songs that somebody has put in your spirit when he may want to give you a new song. He may want you to sing and make melodies unto him, not using those words that somebody else. See, if somebody wrote a song, that's what was given to them. What's given to you? What did he give you? What kind of relationship do you have with him? Or does your relationship include a third party? That's the real deal. Because once you develop that relationship with him, then the third party doesn't have a place in your relationship with him. And if you choose to listen to it, just realize that much of it is simply entertainment in the first place. Christian entertainment, secular entertainment, worldly entertainment, whatever you want to call it. But if you need these crutches in order to have a genuine relationship with him, then there's a problem with you and your relationship. I can see Paul now walking around with his headphones in his head. See, when people didn't have all that stuff, there was a whole lot more power operational. For many, the words of Elohim contained in the Bible are antiquated and obsolete and should be confined to church and synagogue services on Saturdays and Sundays. In other words, the words of Elohim are no longer valid for the 21st century. For many. Although people don't say these things with their mouths, their actions or inactions thereof speaks for themselves. John indicated that he wrote about the signs that Yeshua did in his gospel for this reason. He said in many other signs truly did Yeshua in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But there, these are written that you might believe that Yeshua is the Messiah and the son of Elohim. And that believing you might have life. Now, remember, he didn't just come to give life. He came to give life to the full. In his name. What separates believers from unbelievers is not just faith in Yeshua. True faith in Yeshua is demonstrated by doing the works of Yeshua. Believing that we can do the works of Yeshua and doing the works Yeshua did manifest the glory Yeshua gave to us. Yeshua did that miracle at Canaan to do what? To manifest forth his glory. Now he's given us his glory. And if he did that to manifest forth his glory, 
When we operate in what he operated in, we ourselves begin to manifest his glory by the signs that follow us. Any believer who called themselves a believer and don't have signs following them need to check what they believe. Seriously. Why? This is what Yeshua said. And these signs, that word there is that same word, Simeon, for miracle. And these signs shall follow them that believe. These signs shall follow them that believe. Brothers and sisters, it took heart-wrenching, soul-searching, biblical study for me. I remember in the Baptist church, and this is one of the things that started my exodus from the Baptist church. I remember asking, the Bible says that we're supposed to, when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, you know, we're supposed to receive power. It's like, where is this power? And the Bible says that we're supposed to be doing the works Yeshua did. Where is these works? I mean, I'm reading this stuff and I'm asking these questions and what I'm reading and what I'm seeing is not correlating with one another. And so I got questions I don't have answers for. And those questions wasn't about Torah. It was about the power of his spirit. I want the power. If he says that we're supposed to have this power, why don't we have this power? What's wrong with us? And I'll tell you, it's not something wrong with you. It's what you believe that the fault lies. And if you really believe something, then you demonstrate that belief by walking in it. You may say, well, I've laid hands on people and nothing happened. Keep laying hands. Well, I prayed for the sick and they didn't get well. You keep praying for the sick. Well, I've asked Father for a miracle and no miracle. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Right. Don't give up. or you, Otherwise, you're walking by sight. Just because you don't see the manifestation of these things don't necessarily mean he's a liar. Maybe you're believing in doubt. Maybe you don't have the faith you think you have. So what do you do? Build your faith. How do you build your faith? Get in the word. Get out in front of that television. Get off of that radio. Turn that music off. Get in his word. Seek his face. Cause him to talk to you. Do like the prophets did. You sit and you wait and you demand. I want to hear from you, Jehovah. I want to talk to you, Jehovah. I want you to talk to me, Jehovah. I want you to show yourself. You said you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. I want to see it. I want to see your glory. I want to manifest your glory. You said these signs will follow me. I want the signs following me. All right. Oh, you're too lazy. Takes too much. Well, how can you talk to God like that? It's like I'm simply asking him to show himself. I'm simply asking him to manifest his glory in my life. I'm simply asking him to show me how to walk in what he asked and said I could walk in. And in that, in that kind of conversation, in that kind of intense conversation and relationship, you know what he starts doing? 
Just like when I was in that rehabilitation center, he started showing me how I got to this point, what I needed to do to get out of it and how to walk forward from it. But if I hadn't, let me tell you something. There's a lot of people that need to go to rehab, got the resources to go, but don't want to go. I don't need that. I can do it on my own. Well, you haven't been able to. And I tried. I, man, I can't tell you how many times I tried quitting on my own and couldn't do it. So now I just need a little help. But what I realized is that by going, I had made up my mind. I convinced myself that I need help. And I sought help. And at that moment, at that moment, because here it is, a 30-day program in 18 days, I was ready to go. And they released me. Because you don't need to be here. Why? See, what happened to me is I remembered when I actually believed, and here's how I know. I believed that I was going to get the help that I needed when I went. And I did like a lot of addicts do. I went and got my last package. I'm going in, so I might as well, you know, get my last high. This is it. And I went and got me some stuff, and I started snorting and sniffing and snorting and sniffing. It was supposed to be some good stuff, and I couldn't get high. You see, there was a psychological change in my brain when I told myself, when I said, I'm getting the help I need today. This is no more. And at that moment, and I'm reflecting back on this stuff much later because many people go in and come out and they're worse than they were when they went in. But I'm going to tell you that encounter with the Almighty, what I needed was the quietness away from all that other stuff in the confines of an empty, quiet room where the lights had to go off at a certain time, all noise went off at a certain time, and I'm in a quiet, dark room away from all of the distractions. And that's when he revealed himself. Not on day one, not on day two, not on day three. We have to come to the place to where we're tired of not seeing the results, and we put ourselves in the place to where if I have to wait on you till I die, that's what it takes. I'm going to wait. I'm going to seek you. If I have to fast till I fall out, I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to seek you first. I'm going to put you first because I'm no longer satisfied with walking out my life this way. I'm not going to be dependent on that. I'm not going to put my confidence and faith in that. I'm not going to give my authority over to that. I'm looking to you, the author and finisher of my faith. I'm looking to you who sent your word and healed your people. I'm looking to you, the one who says that you are forever, always, yesterday, today. And I'm looking to the one who made all things. I'm looking to the creator of all things. What are you looking to? 
These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any daily thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of Elohim. And they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. You may say, well, I haven't had any signs following. Well, it's time to change the narrative. What are you doing to produce signs? Are you putting yourself in a position to manifest those signs? Are you walking out your faith to that degree? Father is calling us to repent and return to the gospel Yeshua preached to restore our faith in him and to go forth and do the works he said we could do. And I leave you with the question, what will you do? I've made up my mind what I'm going to do. I've taught, demonstrated, continue to teach, challenge, to provoke. And I'll say this, that if you're dealing with something, call on the brothers, call on the sisters, call on me. Look to the ones around you. Put a demand on the sign. See, if a person call themselves a believer, they have the authority. I'll tell you, ask somebody to lay hands on you and watch their response. Because their response will tell you where they are in their faith. But you'll also be challenging them to come up. That's what you'll be doing. And especially you husbands and wives, because this is a place where you, as a husband and wife, because you're one, you know, it's, it's one of those situations especially if you are working at becoming one to where you're laying hands and praying on her. And if not, hopefully you'll ask her to pray. She'll ask you to pray for you. I'm done. I'm done. But I, I encourage you to put a demand on the power of the almighty. We are surrounded by people, people in our houses that don't have faith. And yet there's communication going on all the time. And if you pay attention to how you're communicating to the words that are coming out of your mouth, to the things that you're talking about with the people that you're associating with, you'll see real quick where your faith is. You'll see real quick where your authority lies. You'll see real quick where you believe. It'll show itself. And be honest with you. If you don't have it, get it. All right. If you haven't put forth the effort in the time, put forth the effort in the time. What do you got to lose? You got nothing to lose except time. And that's not yours either. <laughs> right. So from this moment forth, make up in your mind that I'm going to seek first the kingdom. I'm going to look to my father for the answers before I seek out anything else. I'm going to go to him and his servants and the saints if I need healing or prayer. I'm going to go and I'm going to put a demand on the followers of Messiah who claim to have his power. I need somebody to come in agreement with, somebody to pray with me, somebody to stand with me in faith, in agreement 
for his power to manifest in my life at this moment. And if I go to one disciple and it don't happen, go to another. And another. And another. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't give in. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints. <music>